Welcome to the Echo Church Podcast. Echo is a group of people in Cincinnati, Ohio, who love Jesus, love hanging out, and are navigating the ups and downs of our faith together. We're glad you're here. Do you find a good simile or metaphor motivating, memorable? Does your mind compose things with alliteration, poetic stanza, complex sentence structure? Do dad jokes and silly puns just make you giggle inside? Well, I'll begin with that. So let's have two this morning. Humpty Dumpty had a great fall. His summer wasn't that bad either. Why did the phone wear glasses? Because it lost all its contacts. That's real, and Steve isn't in here, but he's experiencing that right now, so I'm sorry. Sorry to Steve. I'll admit, not a pun person, but my dad is. Hey, dad, watching online. I even bought him a pun game for Christmas, and everyone got mad at me because we all have to play together now. But I do find myself gravitating toward a new game I discovered that's about the ways that words can have double meanings. Has anyone played the New York Times Connections game? Yes, yes, yes. Okay, great. We've got good people here. So for those of you who have not, you begin with a grid full of words, and you're trying to figure out how to place them in four categories. And each category has four words. So for instance, this was yesterday's. I don't know if you can play old ones, but so spoiler alert, I'm going to give you the solution here in a minute. So you begin with all these words, and you can even like shuffle if you would like to look at them differently. So the first thing I noticed, if you want to hit the next slide, is that several words were all tableware. But if you can see, there's five words circled there. You only need four, so I don't know which one is going to be in another category. So that's what you have to do. I kind of stopped that and stopped looking at the other ones. I kind of looked at spam and baloney are words up there. And I'm like, okay, we've got that flowing. But then I'm like, I don't see anything else. So I worked through and the way that the answers will show is the way that I figured them out and decided to do the categories because you can only miss four times before you're done. So yesterday, the categories ended up with baloney, bunk, crock, and tripe. So things that are, you know, I like that, nonsense words. Acronyms, I figured out, I saw radar and scuba, and then I had to start to search. I'm like, what else is an acronym? Then we had the tableware. I could narrow that down. And finally, I didn't get that last one. I just knew they were the last four less, and I'm like, why didn't I get that? I don't know, for all parts. I should know that. Now, the last category. It's a little risque for church, but... That's where we're going next, folks. You see, because today we're talking about things that happen in the Bible. And we've got a little risque conversation going on. Let's move to the next category called double entendres. Double entendre is when words and phrases can mean two different things. But the second one is something you don't always want to talk about in front of your parents. And so we have the fun investigation of finding where writers have put in double entendres in children's movies because they want to make themselves laugh and all the parents watching too. So here are three decent ones we can talk about here. Madagascar. Apparently when Marty the zebra gets scared, he yells, sugar honey iced tea. And I thought it was a drink order, but if you look at the first letters of the words, 
they spell something. Okay, and now Zootopia, Officer Judy, she brings up Nick. She says, here's all your crimes, and one of them is tax evasion, and he responds that he believes her because bunnies are good at multiplying. Math, procreation. Okay, Rugrats movie. This is the final one. I did not watch this one, but it's a mainly a visual joke. We have a baby that seems to be a girl saying, man, they cut my cord, and the little boy baby is looking down and saying, consider yourself lucky. All right, that one is very relevant to our scripture today, guys. Guess what? We're talking circumcision. Great times. I, as a female preacher, have never gotten to dig into this subject, so here we go. Now, Paul is going to be writing to the Galatians, and he has mentioned the law and circumcision throughout, but he's going to get a little bit more creative in his delivery at this portion of the letter. Words, they're powerful, they're serious, they're meaningful, they're the way we figure out how to communicate our thoughts to others in the world. They can be used as weapons, and they can be used to build bridges to connect stories to each other. They're very serious, but that doesn't mean they don't have to be stylish, right? We can put a little style, we can put a little fun into our words. And even when Paul is talking about a very serious subject, we're gonna find that he uses several different writing styles today. In Galatians 4 and 5 are the places where we're gonna go today. Our current scripture study is through the letter of Galatians. We named it Jesus Redeems Our Stories because that is the message Paul, the author, keeps trying to tell a group of churches. He wrote this letter and it was meant to be passed along between several churches in the region of Galatia, modern day Turkey. And they were all supposed to read it and he sent them a message to remind them of their core beliefs because some other people had come in their midst after Paul left and they were spreading lies, basically. He's trying to say like, it sounds good, but the message that they're giving you is false. Because the folks that arrived after Paul were saying, well, yes, we all love Jesus. However, those of you who are not Jewish, you should become Jewish first and follow all of our ways, and then you can add Jesus onto that. And Paul was trying to remind them that everybody, we're starting, we're starting from scratch. Everybody gets Jesus all at once, no prior work required. So, that is our message that he keeps bringing up today, and we're going to see the different ways that he is talking to the people of Galatia. Chapter 4 of Galatians, I'll begin in verse 8. Formerly, when you did not know God, you were slaves to those by nature who are not gods. But now that you know God, or rather, you are known by God, how is it that you are turning back to those weak and miserable forces? Do you wish to be enslaved by them all over again? You are observing special days and months and seasons and years. Okay, so maybe, maybe you wouldn't jump right out at this first writing style from Paul, but he's trying to get their attention by using a metaphor. Recall last week, Paul described that there were children of slaves and there were children of landowners and that they all kind of had equal status for a while when they were kids. And when we talked about that, we mentioned that slavery in this time was different from our American history, but it still was a burden and it was a low social status. And it was, you were stuck working off debt or being committed to someone else's home and not your own. 
So slavery is still a negative, obviously. And with that mindset, Paul is now saying Judaism was slavery. Obeying that law was like slavery. Or he calls it slavery specifically, not assembly. He's using a metaphor. And that was pretty attention-grabbing to say, you're taking this culture that you grew up in, Paul, that we all, we, our whole heritage, and you're saying it was slavery? Like, that is, that is a big deal. But Paul's saying that all that work, trying to earn something, the law, the pieces of the law that were meant to keep us on track until freedom came. But Paul's like, now we're free. We don't have to go backward. Don't head back. And so he's looking and talking to the Gentiles among them to say, you have these great friends who are Jewish, but just join them right where they are. You don't have to go back and participate in all the things that they did in their history. You can just know the Lord God, but better yet, you are known by God. He's like, that's already the amazing fact, and you don't need to add to it. Verse 10, he mentions special days and months and years and seasons. Now, let's compare because Paul also wrote some letters to some other churches, and those are in our Bible too. In the book of Romans, chapter 14, he does say, well, some people might like to celebrate festivals and some don't, and we're all going to, you know, we're going to be where we are in our faith, and we're going we're gonna to care for each other in the ways that we are living out our faith right now. So it seems like he's okay there, that there's some celebration probably of previous festivals, Jewish festivals. So why is he saying that the Galatians should avoid these things? Well, really, it has to look at the heart and the attitude of why you're celebrating. So some celebrations God put in place to say, anticipate with me anticipate my people for the day when I will bring you out of slavery, when I will redeem you, when I will fulfill your lives. And so they were supposed to participate in these celebrations and these special days in order to wonder what is ahead. And Paul's like, that's already happened. Jesus came. He was the fulfillment. He is the answer to God's plan. We don't have to anticipate anymore. We can celebrate that freedom is here. So Paul was concerned that his friends might struggle in their faith if they were going to participate in these celebrations. So he thinks for them in this situation, he'd love for them just to move right ahead to Jesus and not go backward. Let's keep going in verse 11. Paul says, I fear for you that somehow I have wasted my efforts on you. All right, I plead with you. He's being very honest here. Brothers and sisters, become like me, for I became like you. So in this, Paul is saying like, the way I'm living out my faith right now is no different than you. Yes, I grew up Jewish, but now we're just, I'm just living it out like you too. He's putting himself right in their shoes. Then he says this, he digs into their relationship. You did me no wrong. As you know, it was because of an illness that I first preached the gospel to you. And even though my illness was a trial to you, you did not treat me with contempt or scorn. Instead, you welcomed me as if I were an angel of God or Jesus himself. Where then is your blessing of me now? I can testify that if you could have done so, you would have torn out your eyes and given them to me. How can I be your enemy now by telling you the truth? So far, Paul has presented some facts, right? Here's the theology of things. We're digging into Jesus' redemption. But then he just stops and switches up his tone. 
He's now reminding them of this relationship. He's like, the whole reason that I'm having this conversation with you, the reason I'm sending you this letter as all is because we're friends. We have a history together. And he's like, I was sick. And even though that was a burden to you to help take care of me, you did it. And he's grateful for that. And this history is also why he's wanting to say, so then now, when I'm writing something that's harder conversation, you can still trust that I'm the same guy. And I'm saying these things because I care about you, not lying to you, not trying to to do anything that benefits me. He's like, you helped me out in my hard time. And he's like, I am sensing that a hard time is happening for you all. And you don't even realize it, that people are misguiding you in your midst. He's like, I just need to be honest with you. And I just need you to trust our past relationship that what I'm saying is out of love and truth. It really struck me this week when I was reading theologian N.T. Wright, because he has this flowery and poetic words that was just speaking to my heart. He says, theological argument is important, but unless it takes place within a context where people are bonded together and mutual trust and shared Christian experience, it will only reach the head, not the heart, probably not the will. Very flowery, but it boils down to, you know, when you say something, it really matters to people. It means a lot. It actually brings about change and growth and flourishing when you already have a relationship with them. You've built up a trusted perspective. It's not just a stranger on a street corner sending a message, but you're probably more likely to grow alongside someone who has a relationship with you, who has proved that they care about you. And then you'll hear what they have to say. And that's good for all of us to know. And maybe when we try to share our perspective and we wonder if it'll make a difference, the people who we're in relationship with will care so much about us that they'll hear what we have to say because they know we listen to them as well. So Paul is just bringing that up, just like we're already in this mutual connection. We already care about each other in a deeper level because we have faith in Jesus together. He's just trying to bring up that family of God connection to show that he's writing because this really matters, even though it's hard to talk about. Verse 17, Paul says, those people are zealous to win you over, but for no good. Why? What they want is to alienate you from us, and Paul's writing us because he is with a whole team of people trying to minister to people. He's not doing this on his own. And he said, so that you may have zeal for them. He's like, it's fine to be zealous, provided the purpose is good. And to be so always, not just when I'm with you, my dear children, for whom I am again in the pains of childbirth until Christ is formed in you. How I wish I could be with you now and change my tone because I'm perplexed about you. Now to this next writing style, we have a word study. There's several things going on here, but let's look at the word zealous. Paul used that word as he introduced this letter, when he reminded them of his own story, when he vulnerably shared, hey, here was my past. I was so zealous for that law that you're hearing about now that I approved of murder and imprisonment. And he's like, that's where zealous can take you. He's like, it's not all bad when you're zealous for the right reasons, for Jesus, 
then good things can happen. But he's like, people are trying to get you to be zealous over the wrong topics. And he's also pointing out that whoever came among them now, their zealousness is really forming an inner circle and an outer circle because their base message is, well, we're all believers, that's great, but we've got something special here. The Jewish Christians have like an inner circle and we're gonna give you five steps on how you can join, but we're kind of an exclusive club until then. And Paul's like, there's nothing, there's no inner or outer circle, we're all equal. We're all redeemed by Jesus. And so he's like, that one step that you take toward living out all those rules again is agreeing that there is some inner circle you're trying to join. And he's just like, that's just not true. And that's sometimes hard, hard to ignore. I'll announce to those watching that our worship pastor is the one whose phone is going off right now because he's such an amazing hard worker who everyone wants to get a hold of. (laughs) Don't miss verse 20 because Paul said, I wish I could be with you now and change my tone. We showed that he was trying to do it in his writing. But do you ever get a text from someone and you're like, I don't know how to read this. And do you show it to somebody else to say, what do you think this means? Because you can't hear that tone. Even when you use a million emojis, which can send another message altogether, but it just doesn't always come across. And so Paul's like, I recognize that me writing this is different than if I was there with you in person. You could see the look on my face and to know that I'm writing this because I really care, care about you, but I'm having to do it really fast because I'm really worried about you. And sometimes... Those messages get lost in communication there. But he's trying to just say, I care. I'm sending this with love. Okay, we're going to jump ahead to Galatians chapter 5. We're skipping over some verses for now, but we're going to come back to those. Because he uses some history, and we want a chance to dig into Sarah and Hagar and their story. So Galatians 5.1 is on, back on this topic. And he says, it is for freedom that Christ has set us free. Stand firm then. Do not let yourselves be burdened again by a yoke of slavery. We just sang those words purposefully. And I've always read it, and to be honest, I was a little worried that Paul was being redundant. I was an editor for 20 years, and I just want to grab a red pen and circle that and say, Paul, There are synonyms out there. Why are you saying freedom, set free? This is just redundant, and it's an, I get confused, and my brain starts to tune out. But I think he's being purposeful with these words. The redundancy gives emphasis to say, if you want freedom, the kind of freedom you're looking for, it's already in Jesus, he set you free. Like, you think of freedom in Jesus as one way, but it's for all the ways, and he doesn't want you to go back. So once you're free, stay free. Keep reading in verse two. Mark my words. I, Paul, tell you that if you let yourselves be circumcised, Christ will be of no value to you at all. Again, I declare to every man who lets himself be circumcised that he is obligated to obey the whole law. You are trying to be justified by the law, and that's alienated from Christ. You have fallen away from grace. For through the Spirit, we eagerly await by faith the righteousness for which we hope. For in Christ Jesus, 
Neither circumcision nor uncircumcision has any value. The only thing that counts is faith expressing itself through love. Now Paul's saying these things over and over throughout the letter and, and here in this paragraph. He's like, you think that this one action is a ceremony that will get you closer to God. But really, the law wasn't meant to be taken one piece at a time. He's like, if you're going to do that, you've got to obey the whole law. Like, if you want to go in and try to please God by doing certain actions, then you have to fill out the whole list. It doesn't come just in parts. You have to obey the whole law. And he's like, there's a lot of laws out there that you're not going to get right. I tried. Like, that's Paul's experience. He was trying to do it perfectly. And he's also like, there's ones you're not going to want to follow either. So why are you throwing in circumcision? It doesn't matter. He's like, the only thing that counts is faith expressed through love. And as we read last week, the big thing was that people kept labeling each other. And we do that still, right? But in his time, Paul was like, Jews and Gentiles, slaves or free, male or female. He was saying none of that mattered. Remember that's the verse we read last week. And he said, it just matters that God invites everyone in. And so faith expressed through love means that as Jesus followers, we're supposed to demonstrate our faith through the way we live out God's love. And love isn't always starry eyes. It's not ignoring hard conversations when people need help when they need to reassess the path that they're on. I had two very hard conversations with people this week who were trying to figure out how to talk to loved ones about hard things. And I could feel it in their very souls that they didn't want to say the things. They didn't want to take them to the places where they would find help, but yet they did it anyway because they knew that the end result would be healing. And love is walking with someone through the highs and the lows and praying that Jesus will be with you and work it out. That he will bring them through. Believing in people, believing for people, that's love. And we cling to Jesus because it's not easy. It's not easy. But that's faith expressing itself through love. So far, all of the writing styles we've been looking at today, we have them there, metaphor, tone, word study, redundancy, repetition. Now, let's get to our double entendre. Before I read, I'll note that one commentary author said, this paragraph makes him feel like he's like flipping through channels or maybe you're scrolling through TikTok where you're like, another topic, another topic, another topic. So every sentence is a different topic. We've got sports, baking, legal procedures, documentary, and graphic biology. Are you ready? Galatians 5, 7 through 12. You were running a good race. Who cut in on you to keep you from obeying the truth? That kind of persuasion does not come from the one who calls you. A little yeast works through the whole batch of dough. I'm confident in the Lord that you will take no other view. The one who is throwing you into confusion, whatever that may be, will have to pay the penalty. Brothers and sisters, if I am still preaching circumcision, why am I being persecuted? In that case... The offense of the cross has been abolished. As for those agitators, I wish that they would go the whole way and cut themselves off. Paul is writing to several groups of people here. Maybe he's just throwing out a bunch of metaphors in order to like hit everyone who's listening. Sports fans, if you're running a good race, don't let anyone push you off the path. Bakers, don't let any lie work its way through the whole dough. Courtroom drama fans, 
The people who are trying to deceive you will pay a penalty. Documentary watchers, Paul shares a bit of his own life saying, I'm being persecuted for telling you the truth. And finally, double entendre. Paul says, the people who want you to be circumcised, I wish they just cut themselves off, which could mean end the relationship, but it could also mean, he's like, cut a little, cut a lot. And that's literally the original language. Like he's really trying to say, you guys just, this is how mad I am at you. Just go all the way, all right? He's not holding back. He's using risque visuals in order to get the attention to say, these lies are violating. It's violating your faith. And he's like, I'm gonna say it in whatever words you need to hear to get your attention. He doesn't want his friend's faith to be broken. He's begging them to stay true to Jesus. We've been reading this same message repeated throughout the letter. So what is today's wordplay? What can that mean to us? What I see here is a relationship. The relationship that Paul keeps trying to connect with the people he cares about. And he said, you gave me permission to speak into your life when I told you about Jesus' salvation, his hope, his grace. And he's like, now, now I need you to still trust me when I'm saying the hard things. The trajectory of their lives changed because of Jesus. And Paul said, please allow me, give me your permission. Please hear and understand because I wanna have a conversation. And I don't want to, I don't wanna do it this way, but I need you to try to hear. So I want us to ask ourselves, are we allowing others to speak into our lives, even when it's a hard conversation? Are you allowing people to keep you accountable? Are you allowing people to speak difficult truths if you're going down a dangerous path? Do you give permission to trusted people who can say, hey, I think you're listening to lies? Puns, idioms, double entendres, maybe those are how you respond. And maybe people in your life begin with a joke because they want to lighten the mood because that's the easiest way in. But maybe they have to something hard to say afterward. And maybe that's the way you hear and hopefully you have people in your life who know you and love you and make the joke, bring up the dark humor, give you the meme in order to try to bring about Jesus's truth. In the end, Paul wanted his friends to grow in their faith and hang on to the truth of Jesus. And he's like, there's a lot of hard things that we have to deal with. But the easy part is knowing who to go to, to Jesus, and to hold on to him and to know that you can step right into his presence. There's nothing, you, no hoops you have to jump through first. So again, I ask, are we allowing others to speak into our lives? People are speaking, but are we listening? That's the interesting thing about that double entendre. The actual meaning comes from the French, but apparently the French don't use entendre that much anymore. 
but it does mean to hear and to understand. And so you're saying, if you want to catch the joke, you got to listen really well to understand it. But yet, here, Paul is saying, I need you to really stop and hear me out so you can understand the meaning of my words because I care about you. And so that's what we're challenged to do, to give permission for others to speak and allowing ourselves to listen and try to understand. To use a bit of Paul's wordplay, don't cut yourself off from people in the hard times. There are people who care about you. And sometimes when life's not perfect and you don't want to reveal that, then you hide, right? You seal yourself off subconsciously because you don't want to admit that you're struggling, but you got to allow at least some core people in. Please allow that. You need people that you can be honest with who will stick by you even when you admit that it's hard right now, that things aren't perfect, that things are broken, that, that you're working through a difficulty. And one place I believe that happens is the church. We talked last week about how we're the family of God and we celebrated Echo Church together, but we're also a place where we can lean on each other and be honest with each other and walk together through the hard times and hold each other up and say difficult things. Proverbs 27, 17 says, as iron sharpens iron, one person sharpens another. And I have thanked some people with that verse before saying, you make me better. Thank you. And that's a simile that I didn't even mean to end on today. It's a summary of what Paul was trying to do. Sharpen, make better. And that sharpening, it's a process, right? It's not easy. Some rough edges have to be worn away in order to sharpen someone. But then it's beautiful and equipped for purpose. And so when we come here as the family of God together, when we believe in Jesus and believe in each other, we can be known and know each other. We can be in a relationship so we figure out each other's love languages and speak those to each other. We can also get to know other people's life stories and let them know ours. We can give each other permission to speak and we can be the ones to speak to others. Let's sharpen one another so we're beautiful and equipped for our purpose. Will you pray with me? God, we thank you for examples in your word of how to deal with hard things because life brings difficulties, life brings challenges, and we're broken. We mess up and other people have affected us and we just come very hurt sometimes, Lord. And we, we want to put on a good face and we want everybody to think we have it together sometimes when, Lord, help us to be honest with some trusted people. Help us to trust people here in this family of God to know that we care so much about you and about each other and about sticking with Jesus that we're going to be there for each other. Help us to be vulnerable, Lord, and help us to entrust others with our story. 
And then help us to come alongside others. Give us the strength and the courage when things are messy and people come to us broken. Help us to be willing to love on them and stay with them anyway. Thank you for demonstrating your love for us. Amen. Thank you for the gift of your attention today. If you ever want to join Echo Church in person, we meet on Sundays at 10.30 a.m. You'll find us at 1301 East McMillan Street. That's in the Walnut Hills neighborhood of Cincinnati, Ohio, just up the street from our city's beautiful Eden Park. Find out more about us on our website, echochurch.org. Have a great week.